with me, if you would, to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. We want to look at the thoughts about Jesus where he turned to a few of them and says, Boys, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll start reading in verse 18 through verse 22, and it says this. Talking about calling his first disciples. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Thought is, follow me, follow me. Do you remember where God first spoke to you the words, I want you to follow me? Call might have come. Maybe you probably, like most people, didn't even recognize the call when it first came. Most of the time it comes early on in a life. Most of the time it'll come when we're in the age of some of the young ones and, and it'll, God will plant that seed and over the years he'll keep reminding you about that periodically and again you won't understand the theology behind the thing. You won't understand what, what that voice, that yearning that's down deep inside your breast because when you have a, God, a call of God on your life, there's always a yearning. You might go through a thousand other things you may work at a, a thousand other different vocations, and yet there's a, that one yearning within that heart that needs to be satisfied because God has said, follow me. And later on in our life, at some point, it becomes manifest, and we come to the place as these people did today. They answered the call of God. Jesus had, had been walking around this area, and he had been observing these people. But there came that time when he offered that express word invitation to them of come and follow me. Now, they were busy. These men were busy when Jesus called them. They were in, they were in their fishing business, and, and, and others were tending their nets, and they were preparing to go out or uh, just repairing them from having come in. You see, they, they were busy at what they were doing. It's been my experience that God never calls idle people. He doesn't call idle people. He always calls busy people. He calls people who were hungry and yearning for to, to do his will, seeking God, anxious to be about the Father's business. Now, I'm not talking about God might have you in a holding pattern someplace. But still, that work, that yearning is there, and God is, is drawing you and waiting you. I'm not talking about that kind of idleness. I'm talking about that God calls people who are, who are waiting upon the Lord, seeking the Lord, desiring him to move. And these men were, were busy about their father's business, but God had another father's business for them to be involved in. They were busy people. And the thing about this, I look into these men's lives, and as I can't kind of get a kaleidoscopic view of what they were doing, I see that these were guys, they really enjoyed what they were doing. They were having a good time being fishermen. They were enjoying the, the outdoors there on that Sea of Gennesaret. They enjoyed the fisherman's life. I, you know... I've never been much of an outdoorsman. The things that God has always provided for me, it seems like he's provided inside an area. But I've observed something about people who are outdoors all of the time. Very, very rarely do you ever find a person who is an outdoorsman who can ever transition into an inside kind of job. They, they just like that. And I see this quality in these men. They enjoyed being out in the, with the wind and the rain and the, and the storm and the, to feel the sway of the boat. I, I think if, if, if there's one thing I'd like to have been, I'd like to have been an old sailing captain back with the sailing ships and the schooners, you know, and, and fighting the horn and, and the round cape of good hope and, and, and sailing the seas. I, I think that would have been a tremendously 
interesting life and another way would have been a hard life. And these men's lives were like that. But they enjoyed their work and, and they spent a lot of time there. They were, they were outdoors and the, what they were doing was a lucrative business. They made a good living on the, on the, ocean, on the uh, Sea of Galilee. They were well-to-do businessmen. The average home didn't eat fish. They, uh, the average person in that city would, would not have had fish as a steady diet. They would have sold to the, to the elite of their day. The, the door would have been open to these men into the palace. It would have been open into the, into the king's house and, or the rulers of authority in that particular area. To the, to the rulers in the city, to the important people in the synagogue would have sent for them and said, bring me some of the latest catch of the day. And when they went, they would have gotten immediate audience because fish falls quickly in that kind of a climate without any kind of refrigeration. So when they went to a place, they would have gained immediate entry. And so they had a certain amount of prestige and they would have been well-to-do. They made a good living. They had, they had an amalgamated business. Peter and, and Andrew were working with, with uh, James and John. They, they were in a, a, an amalgamation of, of business and doing well at it. And there was something else I saw in this. You know, they, they were working with family. It's good to have your family around you when you're busy. I know when, when I have chores to do outside, I, I hate painting until I get the the first part on me, and then I don't mind it because I'm a sloppy painter by and large. But uh, I, I don't like to do that. But now if Peggy's out there with me, I, I can do that. It's, it takes on a whole different connotation when you've got family members around you in the business. Family businesses are, are a lot of fun. Now, they could be a battle royal, but if they're handled right, they can be a, a, a lot of fun. And these men were working with family. They were working with good friends, so they had a good environment to work into. They were, they were independent people. If I say they didn't have to put up with people, would you, would you know what I kind of what I was talking about? People came to them for their business. They were, they were in demand. So they didn't have to put up with a lot of the, the cares of the people today. You know, there's a, there's a one thing about selling something when you go to the public and it's an entirely different thing when the public come to you. Your selling technique differs considerably, doesn't it, Helen? If you're trying to sell something, it's a vast world between you trying to sell it to somebody and sell them or if they come to you wanting to buy it. It's a whole different world. And people came to these guys and said, we want what you've got to sell. You see, If the people came and they didn't like what they had, it was tough. It was just tough. And they didn't have to put up with it. If the people came and, and there a problem arose about that, they didn't have to put up with that problem. They could say, hey, I, I don't need all this. Just, just go on down the road. You can take what I've got or you can leave it. And if an argument ensued, they'd say, let's, let's talk it out. But they were not men who, who tended to talk very long. And if a problem arose up to a certain point, they would either talk it out pretty quickly or they'd fight it out. That seems to be the indication of their life. What did Jesus call them? Sons of thunder. They had a short fuse. Had a short fuse. And if you dealt business with them, you could take it or leave it. They didn't care, but they were not going to take any gun. I know businessmen like that. There were certain kind of words that, that were just not in their vocabulary. They kind of choked on them. They, didn't, they were not men who had a whole lot of tact. Peter was kind of deformed. Every time you looked at him, he was walking around with his foot in his mouth. They didn't have much tact to them. When you talk to these guys, there was not much compromise there. They stated the figure, and if you didn't like it, well, that was tough, too. They didn't have a whole lot of compassion about it. And early on, I don't see much compassion in these guys. They got theirs the hard way. They expected to send it to people who wanted it. 
And if you, if you were having a hard life, well, everybody was having a hard life. Not a tremendous amount of compassion. And I don't see a tremendous amount of humbleness about them either early on. When we meet them here, when Jesus said, follow me, you see people who are not very humble. A good business will have a way of doing that to you. A position of authority will have a way of doing that to you if you're not careful. It's an amazing thing. You can take a little jerk water town and a little jack leg business, and if somebody's got one or two people working for them, they have to deal with pride because they want to lord it over somebody. There's something about being the boss, about being the supervisor that makes you tend to forget if you're not careful about where that guy comes from, his pain and his hurt, and you forget things about like tact. Go do this and go do that. And there's no, there's no humility, there's no compassion in a voice for that kind of people. These are the kind of guys, guys we were looking at. <clears throat> and when Jesus called them, <clears throat> excuse me, on the tape, if you got that in your ear, excuse me. One thing that they did do was that when God called them, when the Lord Jesus called them, they left it. They recognized a good thing when they saw it. So they were, they were teachable. You can deal with any problem of the flesh. Anything that's of the flesh, God can deal with if we remain teachable. We've got to remain teachable and let God work. But the thing about it, when the initially called them and they left that net, they came willingly, but they took their problems with them. As soon as they walked off of the boat, they didn't stop being fishermen and start being saints of God. Whispering sweet anecdotes, hold on, God's faith. <laughs> Man, you don't know God's faithful until God proves himself faithful. You don't know he's a faithful God until you have left your abode and gotten down in the water or gotten down in the fire and walked through some problems. You don't receive it from a pulpit or from a teacher until you, you had the problems and you heard that voice when he said, follow me, and you say, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can leave this boat. All Jesus got when he got these guys initially, he just got some raw material. <clears throat> That's kind of what he got when he got us, wasn't it? All he got was the raw material. You see, these people, when, God, when Jesus took them, he saw something. He saw the clay. And he knew that he was the potter. He knew that he had the shape for their life that he wanted them to look like. He knew that they would have to be shaped. Anytime we're shaped, we're not going to resemble what we looked like before. He, he knew that they would have to be fitted according to, to the mold that he had in mind. And he would walk with them three years. And he, was, he would pour himself into them. And at the end of that, he would still say, I've got bread and I've got a place and I've got light that you don't have any, any knowledge of. I've, I've still got things I've got to teach you. He knew that he was getting raw material that would have to be taught some things. All of that lack of tact and all of that lack uh, of being able to compromise and all that lack of compassion and lack of humbleness was going to have to be taught some things about submission. They were going to have to learn to be obedient unto the Lord as they walk with him. He just simply said, follow me. He didn't tell them where they were going. You can preach that sermon. They had to be learned, they had to be taught to learn faith. God gives us faith, but you've got to learn to have faith in faith. Faith is a gift of God. But unless it works supernaturally, you have got to learn it, and it's got to be based on something else. I'm sorry, all the faith teachers, 
You've got to have a grounding in the word. You've got to know what the word says before you can put your faith in it. Otherwise, it becomes something that's built on shifting sand. And when the storms come, your theology is going to crumble. But if it's got a foundation of, of word into it, when the problems come, you've got the hope. And the hope can break the faith spring forth. They had to be taught to learn how to use their faith. They had to see Jesus operate by faith. They had to be taught that. They had to learn to tie the natural things to the spiritual things. If there's a message for the church today in this story, it is that we have got to learn to tie the natural things that we have control over to the spiritual things over which we have little control unless we stay in the Word of God. That's the way that they function together. As we look at the application of the things we've talked about in the overview of these people's life, we can tailor-make that down and venturi it down to the very time that you and I live in today, and we can see how God still calls men, how he still perfects men, how he still publishes himself into the heart of a Christian life. You see, Jesus put these guys into school. says, Jesus went about in verse 23, all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sicknesses and all manner of diseases among the people. Jesus had to put these guys in the church. He had to let them walk with him. He had to let them observe him as he went into the synagogue. They had to be taught the learning process of taking the spiritual and applying it to the natural. They had to learn what teaching was about. They didn't understand the, the three R's and they didn't understand the, the burn-in theology behind uh, how you're going to teach somebody. They didn't understand how what he was trying to say in his transition ministry between that which was old, that which is now, and that which was lost to come. They had to be taught that. They had to be taught how to preach. You know, you have, to be, you have to be taught how to preach. Somebody's got to teach you. Holy Ghost is ultimately have to teach how to preach. Preaching and teaching are as vastly different as night and day. They're not the same thing. And, and yet they can flow right together. They can flow in the same message. A person can be teaching one minute and preaching the next. And the uninitiated might not ever know. God has to teach us about that. Pulpit manners and, and preaching. There's a time for preaching and there's a time for teaching. It's by the preaching that we sway men. It's by the teaching that we instruct men and disciple men. Teaching was, was not built to, to, to cast the net and draw in. That's the design for preaching. Preaching was never designed to instruct and disciple. That's left for the teaching heart. And they had to be taught this. They had to see this in practical demonstration as Jesus ministered in the synagogues. And these guys had to just follow him along, had to just tag along. It's difficult for young ministers to stay in submission to an older minister. It's difficult to be there when you've got a call on God on your life and, and you know it, you've got a word, and you know that. It's hard sometimes to sit underneath the ministry for a while and, and you know you can preach better than the senior pastor. And you know that you've got more gifts going in your life than the senior pastor. And it's hard to stay in submission sometimes. But there's some things you cannot learn except you place yourself into submission. Some things just have to be taught. And these men had to observe Jesus as he dealt with these situations. They needed to see a demonstration of how the power of God worked in a life. They knew everything about the boat. They knew everything about catching fish. They knew about the weather and the changes. They could read the seasons. They could read uh, the, the waters and the climates. They knew the best part of that, that that fishing of Gennesaret, if they wanted to catch the big fish, man, they ought to go up to the northeast corner of that thing where the, where the most fertile water was. 
They knew those kind of things. But they didn't know about healing. They didn't understand about laying on of hands. They didn't know about this divine move of God. All they knew about was what God had done through uh, exemplary circumstances back in the Old Testament hundreds of years ago. But nothing had happened in their life. And they, had, they were astounded when they saw the dead raised and, and they saw the lame healed. And they had to be taught that. They had to be taught about demon possession, although it was a part of Jewish history. They had never seen a person delivered and, and released from that instantaneously. They had to be taught about how it, what it means to have compassion and empathy for a person who is a lunatic and not in their right mind. Lunar, that lunatic just nothing just means moonstruck. That's what they used to call it back in the early part of the days, just moonstruck. But they learned, had to learn compassion for that kind of a person. And they didn't have that wasn't in their composition. But they learned that as they sat at the feet of Jesus. And they saw him lay hands on and they saw him speak words and they saw him deliver those which were bound and captive. And they heard his words that he had preached before, which had come resounding back from the four corners. This is my ministry. I've come to anoint and lay hands on and heal to preach deliverance to the captive, to set at liberty those who are bruised, to preach the acceptable year to the Lord. And they had to learn what that ministry meant. They had to learn the, the practical application of that. They had to learn what it meant to work with the crowds as they came in a, in a dynamic ministry instead of just working to the people. Just saying, if you like it, fine. If you don't like it, that's fine. They had to learn crowd control ministry. And this is where a lot of ministries miss it. When God starts blessing and they start getting prosperous, they forget that hurting people are sitting on pews. They forget that everybody who's in a service is dealing with some kind of a situation. They sometimes get to think that, that everybody's there just came to, to gain a, a glimpse of who I am. And they forget, and the people around them forget, and they short, they talk quickly, and they talk short, and they and they cut by words, and they and they shun some away, and they offer the best seats to, to the influential. And they forget that sometimes Jesus says, my ministry is to whosoever will. And a lot of ministers forget that when God starts blessing. And these apostles and disciples had to learn how to deal with fame. Anybody that God raises up in a position of authority in the church, I don't care if it's from a, a Sunday school teacher teaching a class of 10 or 12, unless it, until a ministry who's preaching to 10 or 12,000, they all have to learn to deal with fame. Not, not visibility, but fame. They have to learn to deal with that. When God starts blessing a ministry, a lot of times they'll, they'll start heaping all that accolades and so forth upon themselves. They'll say, hey, man, I, I'm really, I really got this thing locked in now. This, this is going good. I, I'm really shucking and jiving. I'm really, I'm really pumping. This, this is all right. I, I really got this thing going. And they lose sight of the fact that it is he who's doing the work. And if they don't gain that back, and every ministry has to deal with, every person that God elevates has to deal with that at some point as God raises it up in a, in a position of visibility. He said, I don't want you lording it over my people. My people have got one Lord and one God. Everything we do should point back to Jesus. They had to be, <clears throat> these people had to be, patient, and they had to sit through that Sermon on the Mount time after time after time after time as Jesus taught that ministry. You can't read through that, that Sermon on the Mount every time you get something new from it. Every time you read that thing, God does a little additional shaping in some areas on it. Every time you read that, the Holy Ghost trims away a little bit of sculpturing that doesn't look like the Lord. And they had to sit there and listen to that out of the person who wrote it, out of the person whose heart it came from. They had to learn to apply that. They had to listen to that as it was burned into their spirit. They had to learn that part and rehear it about blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says, are you depending on me? The way you're out later, he said, well, let me tell you who I'm depending on. I'm depending on God. 
They had to learn that their source was not what they could see with their natural, that ultimately their source had to be the Lord. And they had to learn with that poorness of spirit, not out of here. There's some people. <clears throat> you can wake them up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, preach to them in this gut, let's get up and go through their routine. Some people, you can ask them about, how do you deal with this? And, they'll, and they'll, you can see their mind sift through their core storage until they come to number 82B and they, and they flick it out and they give you that pat answer of how they deal with somebody. But until it gets out of the head and gets down into the heart about being poor in spirit, realizing that everything I am, I am because of him who loved me. And gave himself for me. That's the ultimate poorness in spirit of realizing that we are of God. No matter at what level we function, we are the Lord. They had to sit there and they had to listen to that. That blessed are those who mourn. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I. You know I love you. Do you really? Are you, are you mourning for me, Peter? Are you mourning for them to be a part of your life? Can, when, when you look at these people, can you see what I've got that they need? When you look at the, the qualifications of your life and the ability that you've got, can you see what I can do in your life? As you give me presence and you, as you give me position, do you see that you need to be in a constant state of mourning before me? Crying for more of God. If you ever get satisfied with what God's done, if you ever think you have arrived, if you ever think, well, I can answer all the questions and I can give them all the answers, Satan's snare lies right at the door because you think you'll get too big for the Holy Ghost to deal with. You think that God will overlook anything. I hear about them time after time after time that God's raised them up and they've got dynamic ministries. And pretty soon you hear of an infraction that the most lowly understanding person would not get entrapped by that. They think God's going to wink at anything just because they've got a ministry. Can I tell you that God will let anything go down the tube if he's not God in it? If he's not God in it, it will ultimately fail. It might carry on for a while of its own energy, but sooner or later, it's going to fail. You have to be taught and you have to learn that there's mourning in your own life for more of God and letting him be all in all. And then you have to learn that you got must never, ever lose that empathy, that crying out for people. I know some people, I have never seen them show the first minute compassion, and yet they name the name of Jesus, and I believe that they're saved. I believe they are. They demonstrate other fruits uh, of the Spirit. But one thing is compassion for the lost. When you hurt for somebody, you can feel their pain. If you've ever travailed in the Spirit, you're getting to a place where God can use you. Because I know a few other things that hurt as much as prevailing in the spirit. Lord, it, it hurts down into your, it hurts in the center of your spirit, man. And it hurts until the point where you feel like you can't stand it. And suddenly it passes. Because you have felt the, the mourning for that person who had a need. They had to sit there on and listen to that sermon about Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I thought we had, a, had a, uh, arrived at that situation. We've declared you to be God. We've got you. We're holding on to you. We're clutching you. And Jesus says, no, you still got to have hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Just finding God's will in where he is in your life and then applying and doing that will. As God's call of his life manifests itself in you and you hunger and thirst for more of God, 
and more application as you he lets you work in the affairs of men. That's why the ministry is so blessed and those who are called because you're, you're, you can't extricate yourself from people. If it's salvation, you hurt for their salvation. If they're, if they're bound up, you hurt for their bindings. If they're sick, you hurt for their infirmity. If they're mentally distraught and in pain, you want above all to see them liberated. The gospel of Jesus, the works of Jesus, that call that he's got upon our life. And I don't believe God just issues one call to us. I think God's got many calls upon our life. Romans 11, Paul told them, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That means that God's not going to call them back, but he is constantly calling us into some kind of a ministry. He's constantly saying, if you'll do this, then I'll anoint. If you go here, I'll prepare your way. If you need this, I'll bless you. This is my call for the hour upon your life. Constantly calling us. Seems like every time, sometime you, you get it together. It's like the guy said, every time I get it together, they change what it is. I felt that way with God, with God sometimes. Say, hey, Lord, this is going pretty good. <clears throat> I'm finally seeing that I'm a, round, I'm a round peg in this round hole here. And, Lord, this thing's feeling good. I'm looking good, and, 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 and everything's going great. This is it. This is right where you wanted me to be. And all of a sudden, God says, now I want you to follow me. Oh, Lord. But God, are you sure? Are you sure? Lord, I like it here. This ministry treats me good. My retirement plan is great. Every time I look around, they got a basket full of something they're bringing to me. They love me here. I don't have one person in this congregation that speaks evil of me. <laughs> Can I tell you, that's, a, that's an unrealistic church. We sat under a pastor years and years and years ago. And his statement was, if he didn't get a 100% uh, vote in that congregation, he was going to leave. And my thought then, in my ignorance, was, you better start packing your bags, Jack. Name wasn't Jack, by the way. Man, you, if you preach in the Word, you... Like the guy said, you ain't never going to make everybody happy. You're going to step on some toes, and there's going to be about 10 or 15%, if you're lucky, <laughs> that really don't like you as a minister. They've got somebody else in mind, and they're doing their little wily things behind your back. And you really don't understand because you're the sweetest thing that came down the pike lately. You just don't understand why they don't like you. You're preaching the word. You're giving them, the, you're showing them the gifts, and yet they just don't like you. You need to hear the Sermon on the Mount. You need to sit there under that Holy Ghost teaching and hear them talk about that mourning and hear them talking about that hungering and poor in spirit. And then that call, follow me. God, I know what I'm doing here. I've got it together. I, I can operate here with my eyes closed. Jesus says, mm -hmm. uh-huh. Follow me. But Lord, in this town, because of my TV ministry and because I'm on radio, everywhere I go, somebody will look over and say, hey, there's so-and-so. I saw him on TV. I've got prominence here. Isn't this what you call me to? And that, that voice may say, follow me. Follow me. The calls of God are varied. And God's going to issue different calls in our life at different times. There was a time he had to put forth, and Nehemiah remembers, reminds us that when we get hungering and thirsting for God, we'll hear that Priest call that, that that man says, this is what God's calling in his priesthood. And let me just tell you, when I see it, it makes me weep. And Job would have to say, yeah, I know Nehemiah, but God calls us to be a servant. 
Nehemiah said, Lord, I don't know if I can handle that servant bit or not. That priesthood don't sound too bad. It just doesn't sound too bad, but that servant thing, I'm just working out this king thing. Let's, let's skip the servant bit and go right into the palace. God says, follow me. And then you'll hear the psalmist say, no, it's not that. You, you can't rely on what he's saying there and what he's saying there a to in totally because his calling is a daily calling. That's what the psalmist said. He calls us daily. If you're not hearing the call for God for you daily, you're missing the Lord. He may only reaffirm what he's called you to with a little bit different profile to it. He says he calls us daily. Sometimes I think it's just kind of like muster. Reckon they know what muster is? If you don't have a military background, you, know, you won't know what muster, what muster is unless you, you know, well, this is a colleague. You probably know. No, it's when you sign up in the morning and they check off the names and somebody says, Jones and Brown, and everybody says, yo, and I'm here. Yeah, you know, sometimes I think God just runs us through muster with his call just to make sure we're still there. Hey, are you still here or did you go someplace else? Are you still listening for me? Is this my voice you're hearing or is that a foreign voice? Yeah, I'm still here, Lord. I'm still dealing with that other stuff. Okay, well, this is a call for the day. I'm just making sure. I'm just checking in with you. But when he calls, the good thing about it, Isaiah says he's going to call you by name. Hallelujah. When the call of God comes on your life, he won't, he won't come through somebody else. Personal prophecy, you can sit it on the shelf and you can cancel away most of it. I've been prophesied over for everything from going to Africa to start my own ministry. And it might have been some of the 10% which they were putting, on, putting about the, the African thing. I don't know. No, but when God calls you, it, that call comes with your name on it. Now, that's a blessed peace, knowing that God knows your name, but if it's got your name on it, nobody else can fill the bill. Only we can do it. Only I can do what God calls me to do. He may have to raise up somebody because of my disobedience, but nobody else could do it like I could have done it. And nobody can do your job except you and God. Moses could have done everything God asked him. God gave him the desires of his heart. He'd cry out to God so much until he just wears and he says, he gives us those things that we desire, but they bring, they bring famine and, and despair into our lives. Those calls of God. Every call of God that comes to you will, it won't tear down what was there before. It'll burn it in. Every time these men heard and sat underneath that teaching and all the other multitudes of teaching that we don't even understand. That's another thing I want to, I want to get before God for says, I want to see a, I want to see an instant replay, Lord, of all those things that you didn't put in the book. I want to hear all those sermons that we never got taught about. I want to hear all those sermons that I've only heard in my spirit, man. All those thousands of things that when my eyes close sometimes flashes across my vision and I see you ministering and I can't quite make out your face. But I see you ministering to that one. How about all those other people like a little lady at the well when you just ministered one-on-one -on -one when nobody was around? And you blessed them. And nobody ever knew about that. You were just doing God's will in secret. And he was blessing you. No, God won't tear down the old. He'll build and he'll burn those things in. And at the same time, you never lose anything with God. Everything he's ever taught you, everything he's ever brought you from is still in there. In building form as a foundation. And he'll use that to build a greater edifice in. on. Oh. People think I've sometimes that, that they've walked away from a ministry or they walked away from a situation and all that is gone. No, it's not gone. 
It's in the economy of God. It's in the ecology of God. He'll use that as a platform to build his next greatest thing in your life on. Take heart. Follow him. Follow me, says the Lord. He'll teach you new truths. We said early on in this message, some things you cannot know except you just walk through the fire. You can read all the books you want to. But some things you just don't know until you've gone through those. We ought to have the strongest church that's ever been because the church that God's got today is made up of most of the dregs of the world. They come from the ghettos. They come from the drug slings. They come out of prostitution. They come out of all kinds of debauchery. Some of them come from, from Christian homes, and they've done good. But God's got an amalgamation, and the bulk of them, can I tell you, most every ministry I know today, most of them come out of some kind of a drug scene, especially those in the, in the full gospel, charismatic, Pentecostal area. All of those people, just about everyone to a man, has some kind of a history behind them. And I don't think that's per chance. God can use that as a building platform, not because it pleased him, but everything that happened in your life is a platform for God to build on. And can I tell you that sometime when, when your world caves in, that place that you look good and felt good and were doing good, when that place caves in and it seems like your world has collapsed, God's just giving you a period of reflection, honey. He's just giving you a time when for his word to germinate back into your life, for you to find out what he really meant when he said, follow me, what the cost was really there when he said, follow me, what it was going to cost you then and what it's going to cost you in the future. If you follow him, a period of reflection on what happened in the past. That's how that psalmist could say in 103rd Psalm, oh, he was in a period of reflection. You can read it. You can hear it in his heart when he said, oh, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I don't forget all of his benefits. I don't forget all of, of my iniquities because he forgave those. I satisfy myself and my mouth and all the good things through him. And the psalmist is remembering these things when he's going through a time of reflection. David went through those time after time again and he found out that God was still there. How many times have you gone through a place when it was dry and it seemed like nothing was working and you thought back, God, if I, if I just hadn't, if that hadn't been that way, if those had not done that, God says, stop looking back. Let me, you're going to reflect, reflect on my word and what I did for you in those times, how I thoroughly furnished you at that time. How I forgave all of the times when you came close to, to cursing me and dying. They all preach it. Ministers don't feel that way. Are you kidding me? You can't minister out of a heart, out of the heart of your spirit, until you've come to the place and saying, God, why don't you just get me out of this mess and let me go someplace else and do something else? He says, now, let, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it just a minute. Let me take you back and remember, remember this. Every call on God, every call of his life, on your life, is going to burn in the old, it's going to teach you the new things. And the current call of God that's in your life even right now, <clears throat> what God's doing that for is still perfecting you. He's still perfecting you. He's still perfecting those things that he's placed within your, within your soul. And the Holy Spirit is saying, come on, come on. Relate to these guys I've been teaching you about today, these fishermen. They didn't catch the fish. They didn't catch the big fish in those real shallow waters. You got to press out there in the, in the deep stuff to get the big ones. I think that's what shocked the old boys when Jesus said, let down the net on the right side of the boat. But you're not supposed to catch fish in this, in this area right here. When the sun's at this place in the morning, we catch our biggest fish at night. You can't catch fish here in the morning when the sun's at your back. Don't you know, Lord, the fish just scatter. You can't do it that way. We've never done it that way. Have you ever heard that in the ministry? We can't do it. We've never done it that way. 
Jesus says, cast it out. Well, it's not going to work, I don't believe, nevertheless, <laughs> at your word. Just because you said, follow my word. Just because you said, follow me, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move out on this thing that you've, that you've moved into my heart, that you've spoken unto me. And God perfects us as we move out into that deeper place of, that equates to a place. It's in the deep areas where we live with God. Because we've got it all, of course not. It's just that we're open to receiving if God shows us a new way to do something. You know, sometime I'll, sometime I'll be meditating or reading, and all of a sudden I'll, I'll be reading through the Word. And I'll read down, and all of a sudden, have you ever had anything just sort of leap out at you? And you think, my Lord, look, at, you know, nobody, and, you, and your spirit, man, is just going bananas. You know, you're alive in the spirit, and you think, oh, God, that's a tremendous revelation. Nobody else in the world has ever got that revelation before. I've got something new that I can take out there. And when you go out to research it, you find that there's a whole volume of books written on that one thing. God spoke of that in the millions of hearts already. You just, you and I just had to learn those things at that particular time. When God had us ready, when we were out in the deep water. We don't, you go, you wade in deep water. That's where the fearful hang around. It's in the, it's in the, it's in the uh, shallow water rather. That's where the fearful hang around. Kids, my kids used to stand on the edge of the pool and I'd be in the pool and they knew it was over their head and I'd say, come on, I got you. <laughs> you believe I'll catch you? Yeah. Well, jump. <laughs> it's like the guy was walking by the mountain, the cliff side, which just came to me. And he's stuck, he trips and falls over the cliff. And it's night and he's hanging on a few feet down hanging on to the branch. He says, hello, is anybody up there? This guy says, yeah, I'm here. He says, I'm going to hold my hand down. You grab it. The guy says, where is it? He said, well, you got you to leap a little bit before I can see you, but you can't see me. Just go ahead and leap for it. The guy says, hey, is anybody else up there? <laughs> <clears throat> No, it's that deep water. We don't ever serve God until we're ready to push out into the deep water. That's where doing the works of Christ comes in. You never see anybody raised from the dead when you're messing around in the shallow water. You don't see people healed when you're dabbling in the shallow water. The Word of God never gets past John 3.16 until you get into the deep water. You know, when God called these guys, he reminds us, he says, I don't call anybody quickly. I don't even want you laying hands on people quickly. He didn't call these men quickly. Before Jesus called these guys, he had gone through a time of observing them in the natural. He had spent time observing their lives, and he had had physical contact with them. Every one of them, before he calls them, he had had contact with, with, uh, with them before he calls them. He had seen them around. He, he had observed their, the way that they dealt. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law before he ever called into service. He had preached out of, out of Peter's ship there in the early part of his, in his ministry before he ever called him. Peter had seen these things. He had spent the day with Andrew and John before he ever issued the call to them. When they were still following John the Baptist, and John says, Behold the Lamb. And they said, Lord, where do you live? And he said, Come and see. That's just another way of later on he's going to say, Follow me. If you want to know where I live, you got to come where I am. If you want to see my dwelling place, you got to come the way, you got to follow me to do it. 
He had spent time observing these men. When God calls you to what he's called you to, he spent time observing you before he ever put forth that verbal call into your spirit man. Paul tells us in chapter 8 of Romans that he'll equip us. He said, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. When, when, he, when he looked into his plan and he says, so-and-so is going to fit right in there. And, and, and in God's mind, when he put you right into that, even though you were still over there someplace, God says, all right, now I'm starting to build around that person all the equipping that they're going to need. Follow me. But you've got to learn the lessons. You've got to be teachable. You've got to see me operate. You've got to see how I do these things. I want you to be conformed to the image of my son as I'm teaching you. In other words, he's, God's saying, when I put you in these situations, I want you to learn how to act just like Jesus would if he was in these situations. As you follow me. Paul, Paul says in Colossians 4, and the reason is that you may stand perfect or complete in all the will of God. And then Isaiah says, if you'll do that, God will cause you to rise up on the high, ride up on the high places. But you mean in the middle of all this pro of problem and circumstance, God can cause me to ride up on a high place? Absolutely. You know, you, you, it can appear like you're walking through a pit, and yet you can be on a high place. And conversely, it can appear like you're on a mountaintop and you can be in the pit. Jeremiah gives us a tremendous word. He reminds us through his tears that if you'll follow him and let him equip you, that he'll cause your enemies to entreat you well. When you're doing things that please him, uh-uh. When you're doing everything not to, to stay out of their way and not force your gospel upon them, no. He says, in the time of evil and in the time of affliction, he's going to cause your enemies to treat you well. Now, that's a good word. Are you going through a hard time? Are your enemies coming at you? God says, I got a hook in their jaw. I got a hook in their jaw. I will cause them to treat you well. Even in the middle of all that. God has a reason through the Holy Ghost of, of not standing behind us in, a, in effect of, under, of holding us up, but walking with us. Because he said, all mine are thine and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. As we move along together, as we move along in this call that you've answered, that's when he's going to be glorified in us. You see, Jesus has a vested interest in your success. If you'll realize that, it'll change your life. The Lord Jesus Christ has a vested interest in seeing you succeed. He desires for you to succeed. He wants you to be seen in the world as a living sacrifice so that the world can be observable of your life. He wants to see you doing his works so that the world can know that He is his word is alive. He wants to see you overcoming so that you can be an edification to the body of Christ. People are looking at you. People are observing you. Every time you go through a seemingly hard time, People are eyes are going to be on you. They may come, may take years for them to come back and say, "I knew you were going through a problem, but you know it's the strangest thing. I saw, I saw the peace of God on you." Every time we show God of the world through our living sacrifice, we're showing them that Jesus Christ is alive in me today. I can't do it except through him. He's the furniture of me. That's my encouragement to you, my friend, in your time of your problem. I can testify to you because I've been there with him. When I said, he said, follow me, I answered that. And I went through some hard times of teaching. And I went through some hard times of refining. But I can promise you that if you'll hold on with God, he's got a vested interest in seeing you succeed. We're coming to a close. When God says, follow me, there are questions that naturally flow out of that first statement. That first invitation must have questions to them. They must come. God, when? When do I start following you? 
And the Holy Ghost will say to you, right now. Right now you commit to following me. I may ask you to stay here in this place until I'm ready for you. But you have got to be committed right now to the win. Where, Lord? And our answer be, has to be, come and see. And our report to that has to be, whether you go, I'll go. Ruth said it. Elisha perfected it. The apostles learned it. And they're teaching us today through the empowering of the word. God, how are you going to do it? What method are you going to use? Jesus says, I'm going to reach all the way back into Exodus 3.12, and I give you this word for your recall. Certainly, I'm going to be with you. And this will be a token to you that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God upon this mountain. This is going to be your evidence. It's going to be your token, boys. This is going to be your beacon. When you come out of Egypt, you're out of Egypt. It's the last place you came out of. Your Egypt is the last place that God left you out of. And you're going to serve God. Serve who? God. God in his totality. Not just a religious system. Not just a theological thought. Not the mindset of our own minds. But I'm going to serve God. I'm going to follow God. Me and my house. We're going to serve God. And he says, then that token is right. And your place out of Egypt is right. Surfing God totally is right. And what about the mountain, Lord? God says, that's where I'm going to take you. To enlarge upon what I've called you to do. You see, like Jesus, when he called these guys, Jesus is not going to cancel out your past. He's going to use your talents. And your energies. I used to plunk around with an old guitar 30, 25 years ago, I guess it was. <clears throat> and I thought I was just doing just a half fun. It killed a lot of time. But I learned C, F, and G. That's about as far as I got. But you do, you play a lot of country songs with kids C, F, and G. About 99% of them. All you, all you need is C, F, and G and about words about your your wife that ran off or your old dog that just died or where to get the next beer. And I wondered later on as, as God used that in a ministry someplace. I thought, Lord, I, you know, I thought that's the strangest thing. And when God had me leading worship and praise, the first job ever get, God ever gave me in the Pentecostal movement was leading worship, you know, besides teaching. Uh, the first platform ministry ever gave me was leading worship and praise. And I use that C, F, and G. By that time, I learned A minor and D flat. And <laughs> was that Lester flat? No, that's D flat. I have learned a couple of those other things. And God used that, and I drew upon that. I drew upon harmonics and, and things. And I still didn't know a whole lot about what I was doing, but God used that little bit of talent that I had in those times. And there was a time, you know, when God says, all right, now that's, that's past now. That's history. That anointing is not there any longer. Oh, well, isn't that great? I'll just reflect on that. I'll just reflect on that, that he used that method. No, God uses your past history, church, in your present call. These men were fishermen, fishers. God used that terminology and that thought concept to make them fishers of men. If you're a carpenter, God's going to use your theology built around how you approach the carpentry of ministry. If you're an educator, God's going to teach you how to teach his people. Plus a thousand other things. You don't lose those talents. They're put back into God. You see, God uses what you will try and what you will allow, you and I make a decision. And it's all tied to that scripture. Philippians 4. By faith, realizing that I can't do it. But by faith, I can do all 
things through Christ who strengthens me. Stand with me. Law, God says, don't, don't give up. I don't care what your mountains look like. I don't care where you are. Follow me. I don't care what the pain looks like. I've not deserted you. I don't care what the confusion looks like. I've still got a plan. I'm, I'm not cast away all that before. Everything that was there before, I'm using to build upon now. Follow me. And if you've not been following the Lord as closely as you should, if you've been trying to work it out, or if you've been trying to run ahead and you say, Lord, I just need to slow back down and find that compatibility again with the Holy Spirit. You know when you've run ahead of God. You know when you've lagged behind God. You just want to maybe step out today and come and, and let's just pray the prayer of faith and let me just pray strength of God over you. Maybe you have some other need that's been dealt with as, as this word has come forth about following him. God doesn't demand blind obedience. He just demands or asks for your willing obedience. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we've implanted the word for your people. And if there's any with need, Lord, we stand ready to encourage and to undergird and to lift up and to edify. Otherwise, Father, take this word and bless your people with it. Give them encouragement. Give them hope to go on.